as we've been learning, you know, our whole life is a mission trip. It's just where we are. And it's exciting when we hear about people who are willing to give up part of their summer to go and, or part of their winter or whatever, to go overseas and, and uh, you know, just make those sacrifices to bring Christ to people. And as we've been studying the, the church in the book of Acts, that's what we see is happening. I mean, we're, we don't see great programs and, and all sorts of strategy. We see, we see just the simple strategy of wherever you are, whatever you're doing, spreading the gospel no matter what. And I think you could break it all down to that. And as we get ready to move into uh, our next uh, portion of our sermon series, we're going to talk about uh, the Apostle Stephen, and we're going to talk about his mission. Last week we talked about his message, and we saw what that was all about. It was that there's no special place in the world. There's only a special person. His name is Jesus, and he's with you wherever you go and wherever you bring him. Uh, because where two or more are gathered, there he is. And here we are gathered together, worshiping God. And our mission is what follows today, as Pastor Mike is going to share with us. So I want to uh, just sp- share some scripture to you from the book of Acts, chapter 8. We're going to read uh, the second half of verse 1 through verses 4. And it's going to lead us into this time where we're going to consider, through Mike's teaching this morning, that whatever it costs us, and this is on the heels of last week, to spread the gospel, the cost is worth it. We'll pay that price, but we'll we'll not count the cost because of who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives. And that's our message and our mission both. On that great day, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Lord God, that is the call that goes out that we are scattered here and there in our lives, Lord, whether we are scattered to our jobs or to our homes or to our school or wherever, Lord, that we would be like these early believers and preach the word. We thank you, Lord, for men and women like, like Pat, God, who uh, travel great distances to spree- spread your word. We thank you for, for others like, like our fly volunteers and helpers who spread your word locally in our area, Lord, and for, for others who at any moment's notice find ways to spread that word. And God, today as we come to this scripture, we pray that your spirit would dwell on Pastor Mike that you would enable him to speak your words, Lord, that they would be received in our hearts and lived out in our lives everywhere we go, spreading your word. Lord, may that be our mission today, as it was Stephen's. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Keith, for that. And uh, wasn't it kind of cool driving up to church today, seeing all those flags out there on the... Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was neat. Neat. You know, in our, our celebration of who we are as uh, citizens of, of two great lands, two great kingdoms, you know, we are part of, of course, the United States of America, and we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven at both times. Um, and I want to, to make sure that we just take a moment. We celebrate our veterans in our second service in a big way, and I certainly recognized them last uh, service, but that's a hard job to, 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 to become a veteran. One becomes a veteran by giving themselves lots of uh, giving themselves to a task for our country for 
that is difficult and you have to go away from home. So if you're a veteran, if you're here, uh, could you just rise? We'd like to give you thanks. We'd like to praise and thank you. Come on, I know there's several of you here. Yeah, there we go. Thank you so much. Thank you, gentlemen, and uh, I appreciate, uh, I speak on behalf of everyone, obviously, that, that clap for you. We certainly appreciate what you've done for us and for our country to allow us, one of the things you've allowed is us to be here today worshiping without fetter, without fear of our own lives. Um, now, I was told earlier this morning after the very first service, uh, Mike, there's times when you're preaching when you just act like a hammer and everything looks like a nail. I'm like, amen, that's right. Uh, so to me, um, that's what we're going to do this morning. We have absolute clarity about what's going to come next. We're going to share the everlasting gospel. We're going to share in the communion feast. We're going to lay some hands on some summer game staffers at the end of this service, and then we're going to go out and celebrate. So here we go. Understand what Pastor Keith read just a few moments ago. The last part of uh, Acts chapter 1, we started, Acts 8 chapter 1, we started reading. The first part of that verse says, And Saul approved of the killing of Stephen. And yet, as Stephen lived his life, as Stephen lived his life, his mission clearly, <clears throat> mission is clearly stated by Paul, who was villainous at his, at his killing. He was the one there cheering it on, and yet, a half a generation later, Paul wrote some words in Romans chapter 14, verse 8, that really stated who Stephen was. Take a look at the screens. I've, of course, added the underlines. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Now, I have stood virtually on this spot, behind this pulpit, many, many times at funerals and said those words. And I'm certain I have uttered them at graveside. We say those at funerals because we want to encourage the family that's gathered around someone that they loved or the remains thereof that, that, that it's okay. That they didn't just leave our sight, which they have done, but they're with the Lord now and forever. And I will say that we need to live into the first part of that too because in our death we're with the Lord, but also it's clear that in our living this is the life mission of the Christian. We live for the Lord. We die for the Lord because we belong to the Lord and no one else. Now, Stephen's mission is to live for the Lord. That's what Stephen was all about. He desired to live for the Lord. He was kind of like Marcus and Matt. He was one of the fly coordinators of the early church. You know the story. We've told it two weeks in a row, this being the third there was this controversy between the Hebraic Jews and the, and the Hellenistic Jews about who was getting more food in the distribution among the widows and the children. And so they appointed some strong men, some good men, uh, and men that were filled with the Holy Spirit. Look, look uh, because what Stephen does in this fly coordinating is he puts his whole life into that mission. He, he certainly was a teacher. He was a preacher. He wasn't necessarily a guy that was good at making peanut butter sandwiches. You know, I mean, that's what we do at Fly. We make peanut butter and ham and cheese and all that kind of... I mean, he might have been able to do that, but more likely they were making heroes back then, you know. Well, I've been working out all morning. Finally, somebody. You guys had enough caffeine. That's good. But he's a man full of faith and, and the Holy Spirit. He puts his whole life in the mission. Look how he comes into this mission. In Acts chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. 
They presented these men to the apostles. That, that's Stephen, Philip, and five other guys who prayed and laid their hands on them. So, now remember, they're appointed to serve lunch. They're appointed to distribute food, but look what happens. So, the word of God spread, which is to say that while Stephen was alive, the mission of the church, the spreading of the gospel, just kept going on. While he was alive, it kept going on. He shows us how to live for the Lord, which is full throttle. Because living, we belong to the Lord. Living, we belong to the Lord. Now, the outcome of living like that for Stephen, there were at least three that we see here. One, the mission just kept expanding. It kept growing, growing, growing. More people were coming to Christ. Secondly, same as Jesus, when the mission started to flourish, the Roman leader, or the Jewish leaders were filled with rage. They were filled with envy and jealousy and fear because they saw their power diminishing as this mission increased. So, of course, the third outcome was, same as it was for Jesus, as they tried to kill the leader to squash the mission. This was not a big threat because, as, as Stephen knew in Romans 14, 8, if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, now look at, look at this new underline, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. See, be clear about this. Stephen is the first Christian martyr. He did not set out to be that. Stephen did not set out to die for the Lord. He wanted to live for the Lord. He wanted to give his whole self, his whole life, many, many years of service to the Lord. But when the death of Stephen was unavoidable, remember this happens in a hurry. Stephen is only accounted for in chapter 6, 7, and a few verses of 8 in Acts. And when it became clear in the middle of his speech that the mob was turning against him, when it became clear he was going to die, when it became unavoidable, Stephen's mission matured. And Stephen's mission became to die for the Lord. He started out to live for the Lord, and it changed when death was obvious that he must die for the Lord. Now, like Jesus before him, when Stephen dies, there is this aura of peace all around. For Jesus was at peace with self, with God, with the world, with his enemies, and so was Stephen. He was at peace with God, with world, with enemies, with everyone. And so by showing us how to die, Stephen also shows us how to live without fear and full throttle giving our whole lives to the Lord. Because if I'm sure people around said, if you can die like that, forgiving your enemies and at peace with the world, there must be something. There must be a large kernel of truth in this Jesus mission and message. This Jesus must be real. Now the goal of the religious leaders in killing Stephen is the same as it was in killing Jesus, to squash the mission. But the outcome in both deaths was not the squashing of the mission, but actually the spreading of the mission, the rekindling of the fire or the kindling of the fire of the mission. The outcome was so opposite of what they, they had. See, what we do is, is when we look at this, because of Jesus' death, we were able to receive our salvation. Because of Stephen's death, the gospel spread throughout the whole world. This is what happens. Read the story. It's absolutely clear. It says on Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, 
on that day, on that day, the exact day Stephen was killed, a great persecution rose throughout the church. Now, we're going to just take a minute away. I want to talk to you about persecution. Religious persecution is the systematic mistreatment of an individual or group in order to persuade, this is from Wikipedia, by the way, so you know it's right, uh, to persuade or force them to give up their religion. Religious persecution is meant to, tr to encourage people to give up their religion. Now, a brief history, and it will make sense, and it will draw home in a minute here. Brief history of persecution in regards to the Christian church. Two stats I'm going to put in front of you. First one's a huge one. 70 million people have given themselves, Christians, have given their lives for their faith in the 2,000 years since Christ. So in the last 2,000 years, 70 million people have died. Now we might say that's an ancient phenomenon. That's something that happened long ago and far away. And Christians, we began to be murdered at the time of Stephen, and, and certainly they were throughout the early ages and the middle ages and the dark ages. But this is not just an ancient phenomenon. Take a look at this next slide. 45,500,000 have been martyred since the 20th century began. So in 110, 112 years, more than 65% of the people who have died for their faith, for their Christian faith, have done so in that period of time. That's, that's way, obviously, more than half. And we know, I mean, I know several. I'm sure Keith knows several. We have, we have uh, one of my friends, Kiboko Kiboko, is a, is a pastor the, from the Congo. He's pastoring in Norwalk right now. I once asked Kiboko, why did you come to Iowa from Congo? He said, it was a very easy decision, Mike. Stay in Congo, die. Come Iowa, live. It's as simple as that. I know we know we have a pastor, Bombi, on the other side of town. Bombi, is that his name? What's his name? The African pastor at St. Mark's. Bombi, is that right? Anyway. But it's the same kind of story where he's, his whole family is trapped in the Congo and they're in refugee camps and, and, and they're going to die. I mean, he's just on the west side of Cedar Rapids. So, and, and of course, it's happening in China all the time. But more than that, you know, we can't just get fixated on the fact that, that, that this is happening in our generation. We need to understand that it is. And if you've watched the, you know, Time Magazine, some of these others that have, have shared with you the war against Christianity in the world, we need to understand that it is a real and current and present danger and threat. Not so that you might be afraid, but that you might be ready for it. I mean, here's the thing. We had all these veterans here at these various services, and these gentlemen that stand, stood a few moments ago, this we know. Before they were sent to any kind of engagement to the United States Armed Forces, there was a lot of training. There was a lot of getting ready for it because they knew that that engagement might happen. We need to make sure that we know the engagement might happen. We live in what Francis Schaeffer, in 1981, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book, and in his book he called this the post-Christian age. Now, we tend to think we're in a Christian America and that everything's, you know, in the Pledge of Allegiance and all that kind of stuff is set up on the Christian values. But here's the simple facts of the matter. There are more non-Christians in America right now than there have ever been. And Francis Schaeffer was very clear about the fact that the ethos, which means spirit, the spirit of our culture is not pursuing Christ. There are less people going to worship now in, in, in America when there are more people than there's ever been before in America, in Christian churches, than there ever has been before. The persecution is coming to us. It is. And I don't tell you this to be fair, fair, afraid, but just let me bring this home to you. 
Now, every once in a while, there comes a voice in our own generation. There's a man named Cardinal Francis George. He's not from Africa. He's not from China. He lives in a city called Philadelphia. Ever heard of it? It's in the U.S. And this is what he wrote in a paper on the state of religion in the U.S. And he wrote this paper in 2011, not so long ago. I expect to die in bed. Because that's what most 80-year-olds do in America. I expect to die in my bed. My successor will likely die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr. Because, according to Francis George and others, the culture of America is changing. And we might want to say, oh, that's so harsh, that's so out there. Well, maybe, but we'd be pretty foolish if we didn't take note. Let me come back to that. See, Stephen's blood, which was part of a persecution, was not wasted. It was not wasted on the Christians of that day, and it shouldn't be wasted on the Christians of this day. See, the persecution forced the believers into new landscapes. In Acts chapter 8, 4, the last verse we read, it said, those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Sound like what Pat Dayton just said up here? Those who are scattered preached the word wherever we went. Here's the cool thing, is they left everything. They left their earthen vessels, they left their clothes, they left their pets, they left their livestock, they left their Xbox 360s. They, just check and see if anybody's listening. They left everything that they had except their faith. They left everything except their faith. Their faith they took with them. And this persecution in the first century creates missionaries, not refugees. Trust me, brothers and sisters. In this country we live in, as free as it is, there are times, and I've seen many within this body of my own, this, this church ourselves, I've felt it even in my own life when I was younger, where someone would push back on my Christianity. They're saying, oh, you don't really believe in the Bible. You don't really want to do everything God says. And we have people that will come into the church, and they would cower behind the pastor, or better yet, a Big Mac standing up here. We'll cower behind them, or we'll cower in our own home, and we won't speak out for our faith because the persecution that's coming on here. Well, let me tell you this. In the first century, when, when those that were being persecuted were scattered, they didn't hide. They preached the gospel wherever they went in the ways that they knew. Like Patrick said, doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to ask, ask you. Sometimes you just have to tell it. You tell it with the way you speak. You tell it with the way you live. You tell it with the words you say. You tell it with the message you give. And understand this, that when the persecuted were thrown out all over the world, this is where in the second... Uh, theater of the Great Commission is engaged. That Great Commission that Jesus get, gave in Matthew 28, 16 that says, go into, all, go into all the world, this is when it starts happening. That's the second command in that commission. Go into all the world, tell everybody about me. And this is kind of how it happens. Take a look at Luke chapter 8, 8 in the parable of the sower. It says, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled upon, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered, because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and with it and, with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So you see, in the first century, the scattered grow a church. 
They got scattered out to Cyprus. They got scattered out to, to different places. They got scattered to, throughout the Mediterranean. They got scattered to, to wherever it was they got sent. And when they got there, rather than cowering in fear, they began to plant a church. Now I say all of that that preceded this because I just came along this morning to get to one point. To get to one point. You see, I'm a United Methodist. Many of you here are United Methodists. Or at least you're in the United Methodist Church. So you need to understand this. The mission statement of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples for Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The mission of the Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And so I ask you, is that your mission? When you wake up in the morning, do you say, I have this mission of making disciples for Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to be about? And when you lay down at bed at night, do you say, thank you, Jesus, for helping me do that? And I cannot wake up again tomorrow to be about this mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I mean, do you see that as your life mission, Christians? Living or dying, we belong to the Lord no matter what we do. Living or dying, we belong to the Lord. Stephen, you see, knew only one power. He believed that there was only one power that could stop the spread of Christianity. Only one power that could, could, could break down the church. It wasn't persecution. I, I mean, everywhere, everywhere Christians are being persecuted right now, from Egypt to China to Congo, all across Africa, Christianity is flourishing. So it wasn't persecution. What Stephen knew is that there was one force that could stop the spread of Christianity, and that is tepid, lukewarm disciples. Same guy I quoted a moment ago, Francis Schaeffer, said this. Tepid discipleship is more dangerous today than straightforward persecution. See, do you remember, you know, Revelations at all? Remember Revelation chapter 3? One of the churches that's doing things wrong, the Spirit of the Lord says, oh, woe to you at Laodicea. For you are neither hot nor cold. You are neither for me or against me. You are lukewarm, so therefore I spit you out of my mouth. Now, I'm not a deep theological thinker. I don't have as much studies as some people have, but I do know this. If you're spit out of God's mouth, that's bad. Can I get an amen from a Baptist in here? Amen. It is bad to get spit out of God's mouth. That is a bad thing. And why does one get spit out of God's mouth according to scriptures? Because we are tepid. We are lukewarm. You see, Stephen's mission was to be ready to live or die for Christ and his church. What is yours? I will tell you this, that the teaching that we have in our hands is divine. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those books and all the rest, those are all the arrows we need in our quiver 
These, these are the divine teachings. They are perfect teachings. They are wonderful teachings. They're all we need to make us ready for the engagement. If we ingest them, if we read them, if we study them, if we know them, then whatever skirmish comes in our life, whatever persecution comes across us, whatever opportunity and challenge is put in front of us to, 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 to raise someone up to Christ, to speak Christ into the void that is the world we live in, whatever purpose we find, is, as Kim told us this morning, to speak into we have the tools we need if we get involved with the divine word of God. And the living, then, secondly, of the Christian life is a holy life. It is a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ in what we say, in what we do, in the things that we act, in the thoughts that we have, in the purpose that we, that we act upon. Living, we are in the Lord. And I close with this. The death faced without Christ is a death without fear. I cannot tell you how many times, and it's many, that I have been with a member of this church or another, or one of the beloved saints I've known, who is walking through those last moments of death, whether it be in hospice, hospital, or in their own home, and they have figuratively reached out and grabbed that door handle that we know is the door from life to death, and they have knowingly looked over their shoulder at us to say, going to be okay, and they've twisted that handle and walked right in unafraid because they know their Redeemer liveth. And living or dying, they belong in God. So whether we see life or whether we don't see life, we live it all in the Lord. Now Stephen's mission, this is all I came by to tell you today, this right here. Stephen's mission was to be ready to live or to die for Christ and his church. What about you? God, we thank you for the opportunity to even hear this word. We thank you for the opportunity to come forward. And in these last few moments in our worship, Lord, as we taste these elements of bread and juice, we ask that they might be the holy fuel for our life mission, that we might give ourselves fully to live for you so that death comes with no fear, that we might give ourselves fully to living for you so that there might come a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, that we might live for you so fully that everyone that comes in contact with us might be the better and happiest for even, happier for even knowing us, that we might live for you in such a way that you are embraced and lifted high in every single breath we take. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, we take communion, which is the high moment of Christian worship, in a very simplistic way. It's called intinction. So Pastor Keith and I and some good confirmation helpers will be standing down here at the bottom of these aisles. And you come first, you'll come across the bread, and if you need gluten-free bread, that's in a little glass jar. Uh, dip it uh, into the cup, and then come this way, uh, depending on what aisle you come down. Kneel as long as you'd like to pray. We, we're not hurried here. There's not another service coming in in a few moments. Pray and then return to your seats through the center. If you can't make it, well, uh, Vicki will be coming around to, to share communion with you. Now, the communion in the, in the United Methodist Church is an open table, which is simple the, simply this. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, or if this is your day, and you want to receive him right here, right now, then this is for you. doesn't matter what your creedal background is. doesn't matter what church you normally attend. If you're here, this is for you, and we welcome and invite you to it.
The meal is very simplistic. On the last night of his life, our Lord Jesus, knowing he was about to perish, took a loaf of bread, a common loaf of bread, broke it in front of his disciples, and offered them to it, it to them, saying, this bread represents my body. And just as you have seen me break this bread, so will my body be broken before you. And every time you eat bread, do it in remembrance of me. How often we forget. And after the meal was eaten, and all had had their fill, Jesus took a cup, raised it to heaven, gave thanks to his Father in heaven, and then said, drink from this, all of you. For in this cup is the wine which represents my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat this bread, drink this wine in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of all of God's mighty acts of salvation, we come forward, we take time, we eat the bread, we drink the wine, knowing that salvation comes from God and God alone. Let this, this morning, I admonish you, be the fuel for your journey. Let it be the fuel for the revelation of your purpose of making disciples for Jesus Christ, for the transformation of the world. What could possibly be more important than that? Now today, we're going to let the Spirit move you. We're not going to be encumbered by ushers or guides. When you're ready for this, come and get us. Give us a few seconds, and we'll be ready. Ladies and gentlemen.